Chapter Eight: The God of All Comfort. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephanie Schneider. The God of All Comfort by Hannah Whitall Smith. God, our dwelling place. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. The comfort or discomfort of our outward lives depends more largely upon the dwelling place of our bodies than upon almost any other material thing, and the comfort or discomfort of our inward life depends similarly upon the dwelling place of our souls. Our dwelling place is the place where we live, and not the place we merely visit. It is our home. All the interests of our earthly lives are bound up in our home, and we do all we can to make them attractive and comfortable. But our souls need a comfortable dwelling place even more than our bodies. Inward comfort, as we all know, is of far greater importance than outward, and where the soul is full of peace and joy, outward surroundings are of comparatively little account. It is of vital importance then that we should find out definitely where our souls are living. The Lord declares that He has been our dwelling place in all generations. But the question is, are we living in our dwelling place? The psalmist says of the children of Israel that they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted in them. And I am afraid that there are many wandering souls in the Church of Christ, whom this description of the wandering Israelites would exactly fit. All their Christian lives, they have been wandering in a spiritual wilderness and have found no city to dwell in. And hungry and thirsty, their souls have fainted in them. And yet, all the while, the dwelling place of God has been standing wide open, inviting them to come in and take up their abode there forever. Our Lord Himself urges this invitation upon us. Abide in me, He says, and I in you. And He goes on to tell us what are the blessed results of this abiding, and what are the sad consequences of not abiding. The truth is, our souls are made for God. He is our natural home, and we can never be at rest anywhere else. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. We always shall hunger and faint for the courts of the Lord, as long as we fail to take up our abode there. God only is the creature's home. Though rough and straight the road, yet nothing else can satisfy the soul that longs for God. How shall we describe this living dwelling place? David describes it when he says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, in him I will trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my Saviour, thou savest me from violence. So we see that our dwelling place is also our fortress, and our high tower, and our rock, and our refuge. We all know what a fortress is. It is a place of safety, where everything that is weak and helpless can be hidden from the enemy and kept in security. And when we are told that God, who is our dwelling place, is also our fortress, it can mean only one thing, and that is, that if we will but live in our dwelling place, we shall be perfectly safe and secure from every assault of every possible enemy that can attack us. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle he shall hide me, he shall set me up upon a rock. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence, from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in the pavilion from the strife of tongues. In the secret of God's tabernacle no enemy can find us, and no troubles can reach us. 
the pride of man and the strife of tongues find no entrance into the pavilion of god the secret of his presence is a more secure refuge than a thousand gibraltars i do not mean that no trials come they may come in abundance but they cannot penetrate into the sanctuary of the soul and we may dwell in perfect peace even in the midst of life's fiercest storms but alas how few of us know this we use david's language it may be but to us it is only a figure of speech that has no reality in it when we say the things he said in the conventional pious tone that is considered proper when speaking of religious matters oh yes the lord is my dwelling-place i know and i have committed myself and all my interests to his keeping as of course every christian ought to do but and here one's natural tones are resumed but then i cannot forget that i am a poor good-for-nothing sort of person and have no strength to conquer my temptations and i can hardly expect that i can be kept in the perfect security david speaks of and here will follow a story of all sorts of fears and anxieties exactly as if the dwelling-place of god had never been heard of and as if the soul was wandering alone and unprotected in a world of trouble and danger there is a psalm that i call the dwelling-place of god it is the ninety-first psalm and it gives us a wonderful description of what this dwelling-place is he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abideth under the shadow of the almighty i will say of the lord he is my refuge and my fortress my god in him i will trust our idea of a fortress is generally of a hard granite building where one would be safe perhaps but also at the same time sadly uncomfortable but there are other sorts of fortresses that are soft and tender and full of comfort and this psalm describes them he shall cover thee with his feathers just as the mother hen covers her little helpless chickens in the fortress of her warm brooding wings the fortress of a mother's heart whether it be of a human mother or a hen mother or a tiger mother is the most impregnable fortress the world knows and yet the tenderest and it is this sort of fortress that the lord is under his wings shalt thou trust he shall carry them in his bosom underneath are the everlasting arms wings bosom arms what blessed fortresses are these and how safe is everything enfolded by them nature is full of such fortresses listen to what a late writer says of the tiger mother when her children are born some power teaches the tiger to be gentle a spirit she cannot resist for it is the spirit of her creator enters her savage heart it is a tiger's impulse to resent an injury pluck her by the hair smite her on the flank she will leap upon and rend you but to resent an injury is not her strongest impulse watch those impotent kitten creatures playing with her they are so weak a careless movement of her giant paw will destroy them but she makes no careless movement they have caused her a hundredfold the pain your blow produced yet she does not render evil for evil these puny mites of helpless impotence she strokes with love's light in her eyes she licks the shapeless forms of her tormentors and as they plunge at her love transforms each groan of her anguish into a whinny of delight she moves her massive head in a way which shows that he who bade you turn the other cheek created her when strong enough to rise the terrible creature goes forth to sacrifice herself for her own she will starve that they might thrive she is terrible for her little ones as god is terrible for his 
We have all seen these mother fortresses hundreds of times, and have called them godlike, and one would think that the sign would have made us fly to our refuge in the dwelling-place of God, and leave outside all fear. But the trouble is, we point-blank refuse to believe that the Bible means any such good news. Not in words, perhaps, but in effect. We say, The Lord's arms are not so dependable as the strong, loving arms of the weakest earthly mother. The Lord's bosom is not as tender as the tiger's bosom. The Lord's wings are not as brooding as the wings of the little mother hen. We know all these beautiful earthly fortresses are made and fashioned by Him, but we cannot believe that He Himself is equal to them? To have Him for our fortress does not really mean to us anything half so safe or half so tender as to have a mother for our fortress. And so mothers are trusted, and God is not. And yet how safe the psalmist declares this divine dwelling-place to be. Notice how he says that we who are in this dwelling-place shall be afraid of nothing, not for the terror by night, nor the arrow by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Thousands shall fall beside us and around us, but no evil shall befall the soul that is hidden in this divine dwelling-place. No plague shall come nigh those who have made God their habitation. All the terrors and all the plagues that have made our religious lives so uncomfortable and even so wretched are provided for here, and from all of them we shall be delivered if we make the Lord our habitation. This does not mean that we shall have no outward trials. Plagues in abundance may attack your body and your goods, but your body and your goods are not yourself, and nothing can come nigh you, the real interior you, while you are dwelling in God. A large part of the pain of life comes from the haunting fear of evil, which so often besets us. Our lives are full of supposes. Suppose this should happen, or suppose that should happen. What could we do? How could we bear it? But if we are living in the high tower of the dwelling-place of God, all these supposes will drop out of our lives. We shall be quiet from the fear of evil, for no threatenings of evil can penetrate into the high tower of God. Even when walking through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist could say, I will fear no evil, and if we are dwelling in God, we can say so too. But you may ask here how you are to get into this divine dwelling-place. To this I answer that you must simply move in. If a house should be taken for us by a friend, and we were told it was ready, and that the lease and all the necessary papers were duly attested and signed, we should not ask how we could get into it, we should just pack up and move in. And we must do the same here. God says that He is our dwelling place, and the Bible contains all the necessary papers, duly attested and signed. And our Lord invites us, nay more, commands us to enter in, and abide there. In effect, he says, God is your dwelling place, and you must see to it that you take up your abode there. You must move in. But how, you ask, how can I move in? You must do it by faith. God has said that he is your dwelling place, and now you must say it too. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Faith takes up the word of God and asserts it to be true. Christ says, Abide, and we must say, I will abide. Thus we make him our habitation by faith. He is our habitation already, as to his side of it, but we must make him so, as to our side of it, by believing that he is, and by continually asserting it. 
Coleridge says, Faith is an affirmation and an act that bids eternal truth to be present fact. And we must make the eternal truth that the Lord is our dwelling place become present fact by the affirmation of our faith and by putting on the thoughts and actions that would naturally result from having moved into the tabernacle of God. And one of the first things we would have to do would be to give up forever all worry and anxiety. It is unthinkable that worry and anxiety could enter into the dwelling place of God. When we enter there, we must leave them behind. We talk about obeying the commands of the Lord, and make a great point of outward observances and outward duties, and all the while neglect and ignore the commands as to the inward life, which are a thousandfold more important. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, is one of our Lord's commands that is almost universally disobeyed. And yet I question whether our disobedience of any other command is so grievous to his heart. I am very sure for myself that I would be far more grieved if my child should mistrust me, and should feel her interests were unsafe in my care, than if in a moment of temptation she should disobey me. And I am convinced that none of us have appreciated how deeply it wounds the loving heart of our Lord when he finds that his people do not feel safe in his care. We can know this by ourselves. Suppose one of our friends should commit something to our keeping, receiving from us every assurance that we would keep it safe, and then should go away and worry over it, as we worry over the things we commit to God, and should express to others the anxieties about it that we allow ourselves to express about the things that we have put into God's care. How, I would like to know, would we feel about it? Would we not be deeply hurt and wounded? And would we not finally be inclined to hand the thing back into our friend's own care, and to say, Since it is very plain that you do not trust me, had you not better take care of your things yourself? It is amazing that God's own children can dare to be anxious, after once they have committed a matter to him. It is such a libel on his trustworthiness. And of course outsiders judge it in this way, and think to themselves, that to have the Lord for your dwelling-place does not evidently amount to much after all, for those who profess to be living there could not be so troubled. He who cares for the sparrows and numbers the hairs of our head cannot possibly fail us. He is an impregnable fortress into which no evil can enter and no enemy can penetrate. I hold it, therefore, as a self-evident truth that the moment I have really committed anything into this divine dwelling-place, that moment all fear and anxiety should cease. While I keep anything in my own care, I may well fear and tremble, for it is indeed to the last degree unsafe. But in God's care no security could be more absolute. The psalmist says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous runneth into it, and is safe. The only point therefore, is to run into this strong tower and stay there for ever. It would be the height of folly, when the enemy was surrounding us on every side, to stand outside of a fortress and cry out for safety. If I want to be safe, I must go in. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, said our Lord, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen, gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. If the little children wants to be safe, it must run into the fortress of its mother's wings. A great many people stay outside of God's dwelling place, because they feel themselves too unworthy and too weak to dare to go in. 
What would we think of the little chicken that would see the hawk coming, would hear the mother calling, and see her outspread wings, but would stand outside, trembling with fright, saying, Oh, I am such a poor, weak, foolish, helpless little chicken, that I am afraid I am not worthy to go under my mother's wings. If the mother hen could speak, I am sure she would say, You poor, foolish little thing, it is just because you are weak and helpless and good for nothing that I want you under my wings. If you were a great, big, strong rooster able to take care of yourself, I would not want you at all. Need I make the application? But we must not only run into our dwelling place. The psalmist says, I will abide in thy tabernacle for ever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. And we must do the same. This abiding in his tabernacle for ever is, I am free to confess, something very hard. It is comparatively easy to take a step of faith, but it is far more difficult thing to abide steadfastly in the place into which we have stepped. A great many people run into God's fortress on Sunday, and come out of it again as soon as Monday morning dawns. Some even run into it when they kneel down to say their prayers at night, and come out of it five minutes afterward when they get into bed. Of course, this is the height of folly. One cannot imagine any sensible refugee running into a fortress one day, and the next day running out among the enemy again. We should think such a person had suddenly lost all his senses. But is it not even more foolish when it comes to the soul? Are our enemies any less active on Mondays than they are on Sundays? Or are we any better able to cope with them when we are in bed than when we were kneeling at our prayers? The question is, do we want to pay visits only to the dwelling place of God, or do we want to live there? Do we want to trust in the covert of his wings today and tomorrow be exposed to the buffetings of our enemies outside? No one would deliberately choose the latter, but far too many drift into it. Our abiding in Christ is altogether a matter of faith, but we fail to realize this. We think our earnest wrestlings or our strenuous efforts are a large part of the matter, and when these slacken, our faith weakens. But if there is one thing more certain than another, it is that the whole Christian life is to be lived by faith. Without faith it is impossible to please God, and it is perfect folly to fancy that any amount of fervency or earnestness or anything whatever of our own doing can take its place, and it is manifestly useless to waste our time and energy over things that amount to nothing. What we must do is to put all our will-power and all our energy into faith. We must set our faces like a flint to move into the dwelling-place of God, and to abide there steadfastly. Let the temptations to doubt or discouragement be what they may. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Abiding and trusting are synonymous words, and mean exactly the same thing. While I trust the Lord, I am abiding in Him. If I trust Him steadfastly, I am abiding in Him steadfastly. If I trust Him intermittently, I am running into Him and running out again. I used to think there was some mystery about abiding in Christ, but I see now that it only means trusting Him fully. When once you understand this, it becomes really the simplest matter in the world. We sometimes say, speaking of two human beings, that they live in each other's hearts, and we simply mean that perfect love and confidence exists between them, and that doubts of one another are impossible. If my trust in the fortress of the Lord is absolute, I am abiding in that fortress, and this is the whole story. 
the practical thing to do therefore in face of the fact that god is declared to be our fortress and our high tower is by a definite act of surrender and faith to put ourselves and all our interests of every kind into this divine dwelling-place and then dismiss all care or anxiety about them from our minds since the lord is our dwelling-place nothing can possibly come to any harm that is committed to his care as long as we believe this our affairs remain in his care the moment we begin to doubt we take our affairs into our own hands and they are no longer in the divine fortress things cannot be in two places at once if they are in our own care they cannot be in god's care and if they are in god's care they cannot be in our own this is as clear as daylight and yet for the want of a little common sense people often get mixed up over it they put their affairs into god's fortress and at the same time put them into their own fortresses as well and then wonder why they are not taken care of this is all folly either trust the lord out and out or else trust yourself out and out but do not try to mix the two trusts for they will not mix it will help you practically if you will put your trust into words say definitely god is my dwelling-place and i am going to abide in him forever it is all settled i am in this divine habitation and i am safe here and i am not going to move out again you must meet all assaults of doubt and discouragement with the simple assertion that you are there and that you know you will not be confounded let other people do as they may but you must declare that you at any rate are going to abide in your divine dwelling-place forever and then having taken this stand you must utterly refuse to reconsider the matter it is all settled and there is nothing more to be said about it in all this i do not of course mean that we are to lie in bed and let things go i am talking about the inward aspect of our affairs not the outward outwardly we may have to be full of active carefulness but it must all be from the inward basis of a soul that has hidden itself and all its interest in the dwelling-place of god and that is therefore careful for nothing in the beautiful bible sense of having no anxious thoughts to be thus without care inwardly is the surest foundation for successful outward care and the soul that is hidden in the dwelling-place of god is the soul that will be able to bear triumphantly earth's greatest trials and to conquer its strongest foes there is one point i must not fail to mention when we move into a new house we not only move in ourselves but we take with us all our belongings of every sort or description and above all we take our family no one would be so foolish as to leave anything he cared for or any one he loved outside but i am afraid there are some of god's children who move into the dwelling-place of god themselves but who by their lack of faith leave outside those they love best and more often than not it is their children who are so abandoned we would be horrified at a father who in a time of danger should flee into a fortress for safety but should leave his children outside and yet hundreds of christians do this very thing every anxious thought in which we indulge about our children proves that we have not really taken them with us into the dwelling-place of god what i mean is this that if we trust for ourselves we must trust for our loved ones also and especially for our children god is more their father than their earthly fathers are and if they are dear to us they are far dearer to him we cannot therefore do anything better for them than to trust them to his care and hardly anything worse than to try to keep them in our own 
I knew a Christian mother who trusted peacefully for her own salvation, but was racked with anxiety about her sons, who seemed entirely indifferent to all religious subjects. One evening she heard about the possibility of putting those we love into the fortress of God by faith and leaving them there, and like a flash of heavenly light she saw the inconsistency of hiding herself in God's fortress and leaving her beloved sons outside. At once her faith took them into the fortress with her, and she abandoned them to the care of God. So fully and completely did she do this that all her anxiety vanished, and perfect peace dawned upon her soul. She told me she felt somehow that her sons were God's sons now, no longer hers, and that he loved them far better than she could, and would care for them far more wisely and effectually. She held herself in readiness to do for them whatever the Lord might suggest, but she felt that he was the one who would know what was best, and she was content to leave the matter in his hands. She went home from that meeting and called her sons into her room, telling them what had happened. She said, You know, my dear boys, how anxious and troubled I have been about you, and how continually I have preached to you, and I am afraid have often worried you. But now I have learned to trust, and I have put you by faith into the fortress of God, and have left you in his care. I am sure that he will take care of you far better than your poor mother ever could, and will save you in his own way. My anxieties are over. I did not see her again for a year, but when I did, she came up to me with a beaming face, and with tears of joy filling her eyes. She said, Rejoice with me, dear friend, that I have learned how to put my boys into the fortress of God. They have been safe there ever since, and all of them are good Christian boys today. The conclusion of the whole matter, then, is simply this, that we must make up our minds to move into our dwelling place in God, and to take there with us all our possessions, above all those we love. We must hide ourselves in him, away from ourselves, away from all others, and we must lose sight of everything that is outside of him, except as we see it through his eyes. God's eyes are the windows of God's house, and the only windows there are, and seen through his eyes all things will put on a new aspect. We shall see our trials as blessings and our enemies as disguised friends. We shall be calm and at rest in the face of all the frets and worries of life, untouched by any of them. For he that dwelleth in God dwelleth in a peaceable habitation and in a quiet resting place. End of the Lord Our Dwelling Place